Father, as we come before you in this time, special time this morning, we, we just say again, we love you. Lord, as you receive the praise, as we've been singing to you, you are all, all powerful, you are almighty, and we are in awe of you this morning. And so, Father God, uh, as we continue to, to look at your word, as we continue to hear what you have for us, Lord, uh, as Gareth prayed, Lord, uh, we're listening. We want your word to come in and change us. We want to be more like Jesus. And so, Father, as you hear our cry, and as we go into this time, we ask just your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. This next week, on Monday and Tuesday, there's going to be a special ecumenical meeting called the Gulf Churches Fellowship. And this would be church families, major uh, denominations that would be like the Oriental Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Catholic, Anglicans, Evangelicals, that comes together once a year to discuss issues that are important to all of us. Things like visas for pastors, things like land so we can have church buildings, where we all know that we're a little short on that at the moment. Uh, laws that will help migrant workers that are coming through this region. These are things that, as people who love Jesus, can speak with one voice. And so what I'd ask is that you would pray in these next couple days leading up to that, that the relationships would, would deepen and that uh, this group would hear what God is saying and that strategies would come out on how to communicate with the government and with one another. So all day Monday there will be a conference, and then on Tuesday, Sheikh Nahyan is going to host kind of a celebration of these Christian leaders uh, with, a, with a lunch at his uh, majlis, at his palace. And so many of the evangelical uh, leaders, Jeremy and Gareth and I and Steve from Grace, uh, will be a part of that. And so who knows what God can do in these meetings? You never know, do you? And so let's just pray that, that God would use it. And, and Gareth, you need to know this is how it works. You go in and there's this huge feast. I mean, it's huge. But when Sheikh Nahyan is done and stands up, you're finished. Okay? So don't talk. Just eat during that time. Okay? Just little heads up on that one. Okay. We have been talking about things for the new year. We started uh, by looking at what's your dream for 2018, and then we talked about holiness. And so this morning, I would like to talk about joy. What is going to give us joy in 2018? The joy of the Lord is our strength, isn't it? Joy is a, is a very important concept. Joy is not the same as happiness. And so when we think about joy, I'd like to look at just a couple definitions that some Christian leaders have given to us. One is by John Piper. And John Piper says this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit 
as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Rick Warren defines joy this way. He says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. It's quite a definition of joy. I like that one. Well, as we move into looking at joy, I want to look at the book of Philippians. Philippians is known as the book of joy. About 19 times in the book of Philippians, joy rejoicing is mentioned. But it's interesting that at the same time that is a major theme, there is another major theme in Philippians. And that is the theme of the mind, about thinking, about remembering. And so there is this incredible connection between joy and how we think. And a book that has really helped me in this is a book by Warren Wiersbe, who was the pastor at Moody Church for many years. And he has come up with four things that can steal our joy. And then there's answers in scriptures for that. But I want to start with these thieves that can rob you and me of our joy. The first one, circumstances. The second one, people. The third one, things. And the fourth one, worry. So I just want to take a minute and look at that. I want to look at circumstances first. Circumstances, these are in our life. We know that there are things that are unexpected that come and they just hit us. We didn't know they were coming. Your car could break down. The weather can change. The economy can go down. You name it. Something can happen. And circumstances are those things outside of our control but they come. And what do we do with them when they come? I think of the Apostle Paul when he first visited the town of Philippi. Things were going really good. He had this Macedonian vision to go up into present-day Greece and to be able to share the gospel. He goes into Philippi. He meets some, some very important businesswomen out in a prayer place by the river, Lydia, a seller of purple goods. And before you knew it, there actually is now a fellowship happening. And every day, Paul is preaching, Paul is preaching. And then something happens. There is this girl who is possessed by demons. And she starts to follow him around, and she's yelling that these are servants of the Most High God, and they have the way of salvation. Interesting that the demons would say that, isn't it? This story is found in Acts chapter 16. 
And this went on day after day after day. And Paul is finally fed up with this. He turns around, he rebukes the demon and casts it out in the name of Jesus. That's when things went upside down. Because the owners of this girl realized now they were not going to make money from her divination. And so they gathered together a crowd, and they gathered together the magistrates, and soon it turned into a riot. And the next thing that was happening is they'd stripped off their clothes, and they started beating them black and blue with rods. And then they took them into the prison, and they threw them into the inner dungeon of the prison and locked their feet into shackles, into chains. Unexpected circumstances invading into Paul's life at that time. Circumstances can steal our joy. But the next thing, people. People can steal our joy. Things that people say or things that people do that affect us, that maybe have hurt us people, can also steal our joy. Warren Wiersbe tells the story of his little daughter, and I love this. He says, my daughter jumped off the school bus as it stopped in front of our house and slammed her way through the front door. She marched defiantly up the stairs to her room and again slammed the door. Parents, sound familiar? All the time, she was muttering under her breath, He says, I went to her door and I knocked softly, may I come in? She replied, no. So I tried again, but she said it even more belligerently, no. I asked, why can't I come in? Her answer, because you are a people. <laughs> people. We're dealing with people every day. We're surrounded by people every day. And yet people can steal our joy. And then there's things, material things, things like even jobs or position. The thing about things is that as we want to possess more things, what usually happens is it turns around and the things that we get start to possess us and put us into bondage. And things can steal our joy. James says it this way in James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, and you do not have. So you murder. You covet, cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Those passions, those desires for things is adultery, he says. Or idolatry. <laughs> There's a difference. Idolatry. 
where things take the place of our God in our hearts. When that happens, things can steal our joy. And then finally, worry. 500 years ago, Michel de Montaigne said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Worry. Don Goway was uh, head of the department of psychiatry at Stanford Medical School, and he's, he's writing about this comment. And he says, now there's a study that proves this is true. Researchers at Cornell University studied people over an extended period of time. This study looked into how many of our imagined calamities never materialized. In this study, subjects were asked to write down their worries and then identify which of their imagined misfortunes did not actually happen. Lo and behold, it turns out that 80 of what subjects worried about never happened. And with the 15% that did happen, 79% of subjects discovered either they could handle the difficulty better than expected, or the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. This means that 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. Let me read that again. This means 90% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. These things can steal our joy. But as Warren Wiersbe had pointed out, those things that steal your joy, how do we fight them? Together with joy in the book of Philippians is the sense of the mind. And to be able to battle that, the secret of joy is found in the way the believers think. There's four attitudes that maintain your joy that are found here in Philippians. And he lists them this way, the single mind, the submissive mind, the spiritual mind, the secure mind. And so we want to take those four things and look at four passages, one from each chapter in Philippians, and see what God has for us. And so the first one, circumstances. To battle circumstances, we need to have the single mind. And we look at Philippians, and we look at chapter 1 and verse 21. How do we have a single mind? For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I choose, I, I, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part 
and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul's attitude, how does he fight with those circumstances, is that he has this single mind of total, complete, 100% obedience to God. Loving God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when our mind is taking off the, the wind and the waves and the circumstances that come against us, and when our mind is focused just on Jesus, it makes a difference how we're responding. Remember Paul in Philippi? Inner dungeon, chained to the wall. What was he doing then? Well, his mind singly on God. So what do you do? You pray, and you sing songs, and you sing hymns, because it's not about the circumstances. It's about Almighty God. And as Paul and Silas in that prison were just worshiping and giving thanks and giving praise to God, what happens? Earthquake. All the chains fall off. All the doors fly open. And the jailer is going to commit suicide because he realized his life is over if all these prisoners escape. Paul says, no, we're all here. And he goes then to lead the jailer and his entire family to the Lord Jesus Christ. And a church is formed in Philippi. And then Paul will move on to go to the next city. When we have that single-mindedness that in our lives... That when we get up in the morning, our purpose is to follow and obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. The wind and the waves that will come up against us, they're not going to matter. Because if we live, we live for Christ. And if we die, we're better off because we go to be with him. How do we fight and not let circumstances rule us by having that single-mindedness of loving God above all things, following God above all things. Well, then we come now to the second one, people. Not letting people take our joy away. And we see this in Philippians in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul writing to the church there. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And really we have in these first two uh, attitudes of the single mind is really it's loving God. 
And the second one here is, this, is the second great commandment, isn't it? Loving people. Because when we have this mindset that we are not here for people to serve us, but we are actually here to serve other people, it changes our mindset. It changes how we view of the people around us. And all of a sudden, people give us a harsh word or they treat us harshly. Our first response is, Lord, what's going on in their heart today? Have they been hurt? What needs to happen for them to experience your peace and your joy? And all of a sudden, Lord, I'm willing to take that kind of abuse for the sake of other people being able to come closer to you. See, people aren't going to steal your joy if you realize that, that our role following Christ is actually to serve and be a blessing to others. And if that means sacrifice for us, well, that's what Jesus showed us. Jesus came and washed others' feet. He came and he took people spitting at him and beating him. He didn't let that bother him or stop him. He went on to do the Father's will. But that sense of us being able to honor, being able to respect other people around us, especially in the Christian community, even when there are massive disagreements. George Woodfield and John Wesley were about as opposite as you could get. Back hundreds of years, these two men, giants of the awakening period, leading thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people to Jesus. John Wesley being Arminian. George Whitfield being Calvinistic. And here you had these two great men who had hot arguments on some of these doctrinal issues. Well, after... Uh, George Whitfield passed away. There was a dialogue between John Wesley and a young lady in his community. I'll just read this to you. One day after Whitfield's decease, John Wesley was timidly approached by one of the godly band of Christian sisters who had been brought under his influences and who loved both Whitfield and himself. Dear Mr. Wesley, may I ask you a question? Yes, of course, madam, by all means. But dear Mr. Wesley, I'm very much afraid what the answer will be. Well, madam, let me hear your question, and then you will know my reply. At last, after not a little hesitation, the inquirer tremblingly asked, Dear Mr. Wesley, do you expect to see dear Mr. Whitefield in heaven? A lengthy pause followed, after which John Wesley replied with great seriousness, No, madam. His inquirer at once exclaimed, oh, I was afraid you would say so. To which John Wesley added with intense earnestness, Do not misunderstand me, madam. George Whitfield was so bright a star in the firmament of God's glory, and he will stand so near the throne that one like me, who am less than the least, will never catch a glimpse of him. 
when we have that kind of perspective on brothers and sisters, honoring them, uplifting them. George Whitfield in his will asked that John Wesley would be the one to preach at his memorial service. The third one, things. Things. Well, we find in Philippians and chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here Paul is telling the people in Philippi, these are people he's known throughout his ministry, People maybe one time claimed to, to follow Christ, and with tears, Paul is saying, they've gone away. They've got caught up in their own passions. Their God now is their belly. They want pleasure. They're running after pleasure. Their minds have now become set on earthly things. And the way we confront that is we have a spiritual mind. That we take our minds and we place our minds on the heavenly things. And the heavenly things are our eternal salvation that we have in the living God. Knowing that that eternity is going to be something incredible and something special. We know we're not taking money there. We're not taking homes. We're not taking cars. We're not taking positions. All of those things that people are running after mean nothing to us. Because we have a much better inheritance in heaven. And our God, the Lord Jesus, is our Savior. And when we think about us being sinners and being condemned under a holy God to be punished for that. And God, in his love, sent the Lord Jesus Christ to come and die on the cross in our place so that his righteous justice would be fulfilled and at the same time his love, mercy, and compassion would be fulfilled. And through Christ, we have that opportunity to be reconciled with a living holy God. That is the Savior that we're waiting for. And we think of that Savior. We think of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, but, but cars and Ferraris and houses and palaces, they mean nothing to us. But Paul says here, he says, look for people. Watch for examples. Follow those people who have kind of solved this thing of not being caught up in the things of this earth. One of the guys who has been a, an incredible example to me in this 
is a man by the name of George Verwer. And George Verwer is the, the founder of Operation Mobilization OM. Now, he's a little bit extreme, but there are things that you see in his life of how he has taken hold of this concept that this isn't his home, and he's not into things. George was going to Moody Bible Institute where he graduated. He had just been married. And what do you do after you've just been married? Well, you go to the mission field, right? And so this is a quote taken from the Moody Memo uh, back in 1960. It says, George, a January graduate, and Drina, former film department secretary, were married in January and immediately set off in an old international truck which mechanics said would never get out of Chicago, let alone get down to Mexico, to continue the mission in Mexico. Now get this. Having no money and running low on petrol, they stopped at a filling station. So George explained to the proprietor about their wedding and their mission and asked if they could exchange their wedding cake for petrol. The proprietor said, I'm a Christian. I'll fill your tank, and you can keep the cake. <laughs> and the same thing happened a second time. But the third time, the proprietor was not a Christian, so he took the wedding cake. <laughs> and even that, there was nothing that they were holding. In their early days of marriage, George put a sign up above their, their flat. It said, if there's anything in our flat that you need more than we do, take it. Can you imagine that over your house? <laughs> but see, things meant nothing. And that is having that spiritual mind, that, that single-mindedness, that, that submissive mind, that, that spiritual mind. And when we have that, things aren't going to rob our joy at all. And then finally, we come to worry. You know this word worry? Do you know where we get it from? The root word of it? To strangle somebody. That is what worry does to us. And so in Philippians in chapter 4, and in verse 4, we find that the answer to worry really is going to be in a secure mind. Secure mind, secure in God, in who God is, and how God will take care of us. So verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. These are commands. Remember, Paul is writing to them to rejoice. Where is he? He's chained to a Roman soldier under house of arrest in Rome again, <laughs> in trouble. And yet out of that context of his own trouble, he is writing, no, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your graciousness, your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. That word anxious, you know what it means? It means pull apart. 
the things that come to us, they want to pull us away from God and pull us away from our thoughts, our faith. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A very well-known passage for most of us here. And this concept of worry, because worry actually applies to the three things above it, to people and circumstances and things, because that's what we're really worrying about. And how do we fight worry? We fight it in our minds. We fight it by going straight to God and sitting down with God and talking specifically to our Father about those issues that we have concerns. And as we do that, we cover it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, it's that sense of, God, I have all of these requests, but I want to cover it with thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're watching out for me. Thank you that you have a purpose for me. Thank you that you'll take care of me. Thank you that, that when I'm done with this earth, I'm going to be with you forever. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit you've given to me. And the list goes on and on and on. And when we begin to match our little requests with who our God is as we thank him, God turns and he gives us that peace, supernatural peace, peace that passes all understanding. I'm sure in Philippi, in that dungeon, the other prisoners were just sitting there amazed at people that could be beaten black and blue and in chains, worshiping and praising God because that perfect peace is supernatural. And they were looking at that and they go, I don't get it. I don't understand it but I imagine they're probably saying, I want it. I want to know that kind of a peace. And that peace of God is described as wow, <laughs> as guarding our hearts and guarding our minds in Christ Jesus. I like that. God's peace is like putting a garrison around you, like a wall of protection of soldiers. And when circumstances and people and things come and they try to steal your joy or interrupt your walk with God, it's like God's peace is like a wall that guards our hearts. Say, no, I'm not losing my joy over that. I'm not losing my joy over that. I'm going to stay focused on my God. Our joy is linked it's a battle in our minds. That's why in Romans it said, be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And take the truths of Scripture that God has given to us and start walking in them and refusing and rejecting those things that would come and try to steal away your joy. And then finally, he says this, 
as we seek to control our minds. Continuing on in chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will, will be with you. Father God, we thank you for Philippians. We thank you for the the words you gave to that little church that was growing there. We thank you, Father, that our joy is in you. And Lord, together as, as a group, we just want to say we love you again. And we want to say, Father God, we want to put our minds on you. We want to have a single mind in just loving you and following you. Father God, we want to be able to have that submissive mind to love others. We want to have that spiritual mind to not fall into things. We want to have that secure mind knowing who we are as your sons and daughters. And so, Lord, we just give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.